From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hittin' Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Yo! Hello, Liz. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, Justin. The Philadelphia Phillies return home from a bizarre, at times, uh, road trip where they... <laughs> Won, they won four games straight, they lost four games straight, and now Bryce Harper is back to return to Citizens Bank Park for his first at-bat of the 2023 season. And hey, maybe Major League Baseball will even let us clap for him without giving him a penalty. Ooh. <laughs> no, they won't. No, yeah, the request has been formally submitted, but um, yeah, there's there's just no guarantee that that'll happen. <laughs> So no, and th- everyone's just gonna have to settle down and realize they're getting a, they're getting a, a pit yeah what is it a pitch clock violation uh, violation yeah. thank you they're gonna get a pitch clock violation just see now our happiness about Bryce Harper being back is going to lead to him starting his at bat zero and one yeah uh baseball is really cracking down on fan enjoyment yep. uh really preventing us from first of all yeah i would also like you to just tell everyone in philadelphia to calm down and see how that see how that goes oh, especially yeah. with a sixers playoff game and bryce harper coming to philadelphia to play for the first time in 2023 i feel like this is the exactly wrong time to suggest <laughs> people calm down and i feel like more importantly it's the most effective in ineffective possible time to tell people to calm down yeah i mean it's like even money whether we get whether we get Phillies and Bryce Harper chance, where they also get Sixers chance somehow, or even Eagles chance at the game tomorrow. It, or uh, yeah, the game tonight. It's going to be a huge party. Yeah, people complain occasionally about the Eagles chance at non-Eagles sporting events. And I got to say that it's when people are spelling Eagles, it's not, they're not doing an Eagles chant. They're just no. doing a Philadelphia chant. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's all the same, really. You, yeah. I mean... I, there was a dude walking. I don't, I don't say hi to people in Phillies gear in Baltimore anymore because there are a lot of them. But like I saw someone walking by with a Flyers jersey on and I'm just like, whoa, go Flyers. He's like, hell yeah. And then he left. Like, yeah. it's all the same. Yeah, I was wearing a gritty shirt in Belize and a guy <laughs> said, go birds as he walked by me. Like, that's just it's just saying hello. In exactly. Philadelphia. You weren't yeah. even wearing a, you know, go birds is universal. It's all universal Philadelphia. Exactly. Now, speaking of telling people to calm down, I also thought this was the perfect opportunity to dedicate an entire episode to the unfathomable (laughs) figure on the Philadelphia Phillies that we know as Aaron Nola, who has become something of a polarizing player. Uh, in in recent well throughout most of his career really and who recently had another start in Los Angeles that was part of the Dodgers not just sweeping but complete dismantling of the Philadelphia Phillies uh, in the last three games of this recent road trip where the Phillies were outscored I believe 36 to 10 I want to say over three games yep (laughs) 26 of those runs coming in the first two games alone in no game did the Dodgers score fewer than double digits uh, the closest game the Phillies got to winning was the third one. Aaron Nola couldn't hold a five to nothing lead, eerily similar to his predicament on opening day. And that, of course, stirred up all of the conversations that had been had about Aaron Nola leading up to that point, despite him having such promising starts in Colorado or against Colorado and Houston, uh, Houston being his best start of the season. We're going to get to all of that. But in general, the Aaron Nola discourse is once again in a place of unhinged chaos and Liz, before we get into the facts and figures, I wanted to just at least get get where you're at when you find out, let's say you're going to the game tonight. Who's starting? Aaron Nola. Your first thought as you go to the game. Oh? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> it Yikes. is kind of that. Like, it's not bad, but it's also, there's like, there's an even chance I could see an absolute disaster or a gem. Does it? I mean, it kind of feels like there's very little in the middle anymore. 
What right? is in the middle? Because I don't even know. Ev- I said isn't that. every start a chance to see a disaster or a gem? And I'm not. I'm not just asking you that. I'm kind of asking everybody because one of our goals here today, our chief goal, really, is to establish a definition of Aranola. Because I think that's where we're really struggling. It's a bizarre combination of expectations, low or high, what you're seeing in front of you today versus what he has accomplished in the past, the value of those things against each other. You're just you're dealing you're dealing with a lot in in regards to Aaron Nola, whether you're identifying him, how you're identifying him, and what role he plays, and the context that role exists on the Philadelphia Phillies. I think there's just a lot going on. People can make it as simple. As well, I think he always just has a bad inning. You can make it as general as look at his career numbers. This guy's up there with some of the greats. So there's really arguments to be made on both sides. So I guess when you're saying, I don't know if I'm going to see a gem or a disaster, I think we got to make the, I think we got to go a little more specific than that. I'm really just saying, I'm going to a baseball game. (laughs) (laughs) I know what I think is, oh boy. Like, that's my general reaction, because I guess I'm thinking more of what the fallout of every single thing that happens in the game is going to be. I mentioned that. You think that far? Like, you're just analyzing how everything that happens is going to play out later. Well, think of it like this. Uh, That Rocky start I mentioned that was uh, one of his two best starts of the season, he allowed a three-run home run in the first inning of that game. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that was not initially how that game was was gearing up to be. That was looking like it was going to be another oh boy moment from Aaron Nola. But he rallied. The Phillies won that game. They came back. He got you know a boost from his offense, which he doesn't always get either. And they came back and won. So when you say you never really know what you're going to get from an Aaron Nola start, I think what you're really saying is the scope of events that could <laughs> occur in an Aaron Nola start is so much wider than every other pitcher. And what the other important thing here is that he makes you feel like you're crazy. No matter what side of the argument you're on, (laughs) he's going to do something that disproves it. And then the next game do something that proves it. And it makes it really hard to define him, which is going to be our challenge here today. I feel like he is in many ways, the perfect player for our case. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess I know what you mean. Well, he's just undefinable. He continues to, you know, perplex us. We, he's been here for a long time. I mean, we all, we say we don't know who he is. We know who he is. It just takes more than if, you know, a, a handful of words to describe. Right. You know, it's, it's, he's a more complex pitcher than a lot of guys. You know, you look at someone like, you know, Verlander and his strategy, I'm going to power them to death. They will just die from all of my pitching. But Aaron Nola is not that. But we can't, from game to game, it's different. It is crazy. And it is, I feel somewhat that we are deserving of it as a fan base who kind of flips and flops on a lot of players. It's interesting you mentioned Verlander. The Baseball Prospectus Annual from 2023. I'm going to get proven stupid here. Come on. No, no, no. It's just <laughs> this, this is going to prove our overall point, which is that this guy is difficult to define. This year's Baseball Prospectus Annual for, for each player section, it lists a couple of players that, you know, throughout history or present day that are they believe are established comparables to that player. And for Aaron Nola, the comparable players listed were Juan Maricol of the Giants from long ago, Kevin Apier, a Royals ace, I want to say, uh, from when I was like growing up, and Justin Verlander of the New York Mets. <laughs> so it's funny that you say he's uh-huh. not like him. Yeah, that's what I'm like. I've now been proven stupid no, but by that's, like, the but only that's... authority I recognize on baseball. That, but this is all just, you know, opinions based on how people read data. And some people look at that and think, you know, he's like Justin Verlander. I actually don't even know the metrics with which they come up with these comparable no, players. And you're that. saying, based on what I've seen as someone who watches and analyzes and breaks down baseball, he is not like Justin Verlander. And I'm sure you are correct as well. But I can sort of see why they said that because leading and I'm I'm just thinking about it as what I've seen from Nola recently, which is different because in the past, over the, the last handful of years, he's been a strikeout machine. He will yes. throw a lot of pitches. He will throw, you know, he wants to strike 
guys out, but it seems like with the new pitch clock, he can't do that. He can't get himself into the groove. He doesn't have enough time. And so now he's trying to pitch contact a little bit more, it seems. At least that's what I, I think I read that in an article. I am not observing this on my own. So, well, like, I think if you look at it that way, the fact that the pitch clock is so intensely affected, like, this is an interesting time to have this conversation because he's admitted that, you know, the pitch clock is screwing with me. Like, I don't know. It, everything is in flux right now. It's all in transit. I, he doesn't even know who he is right now. That, I think, is true. I yes. think the issues you're seeing so far this year aren't, for the most part, reflective of who Aranola has been and generally is as a pitcher. I think they are largely because of things that are specific to 2023. I found we'll a small... will be beyond that, too. It'll yeah. be specific to 24 and 25. Right. The pitch clock. But as just because of the passage of time, oh, yeah. this is this is where we are now. <laughs> yes, that's true. Sorry. <laughs> but let's take a trip back in history. You know, let's let's do a little do a little background here, do a few reminders. And then I think it'll be good for us to walk through each of his seven starts from this season and just talk about what we've heard, where he's struggled and what the team and Nola himself has had as a response to the various issue, various issues he's faced along the way. So journey with me, Liz, back 10 years into our past, where we have 10 more years of, of youth invigorating our, our bodies and our minds. And we're just, you know, 10 years younger than the, the versions of ourselves we have now. 10 years dumber than we are now yeah. as well, you know. And, and we're sitting here in 2014 watching Aaron Michael Nola get drafted seventh overall by the Philadelphia Phillies. Liz, did you know the Blue Jays originally drafted Aaron and his brother Austin in 2011, but they both decided to play at LSU together instead? Aw. Isn't that nice? <laughs> My God. That nice. is ridiculously cute. Very, <laughs> you know, very down south twee kind of classic. I was going to say Tennessee Williams because I've been watching a lot of Tennessee Williams movies lately, but um, <laughs> that's not even true at all. Just like <laughs> something much more pastoral than, you know, horrible family how did we get on this topic? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm letting you go. <laughs> so, it's a Friday. It has been a very long week at work. And we, Justin and I are both very excited about the tailgate this weekend. That's true. Some of you are listening to this on your way to the tailgate and to U.S. salute you. Yes. Uh, we will see you at three o'clock in Jetro lot for the Hidden Season Tailgate brought to you by WHYY and Billy Penn. With a free hoagies, free beer, free. Uh, it's just going to be a good time. You're going to yeah. have a great time. And then the Phillies will play baseball and that good time <laughs> will be over. Hopefully we've all had enough to drink by then. In 2014, when the Phillies drafted Aaron Ola seventh overall, the scouting reports told of an athletic, flexible kid out of the bayou with great control over his arsenal, despite a mid three quarters release point. That's low. His velo topped out at 93, 94, and even regularly could touch 95. He could reach down deep and pull out a 96 when he felt like it too. He had a changeup with sync that he was starting to use a little less. He had a slider with power he was starting to use a little more. By 2015, along with Michael Franco, he was viewed as one of, quote, two prominent symbols of a looming franchise rebuild per Baseball America. Honestly, at that point, Given the Phillies, the state of Phillies player development, it's a miracle they were even half right. Honestly. And I think we were all we were all rooting for Franco for a while too. I thought I thought there was something there. Oh, yeah. But here we are. At this point, they were starting to call his slider a sharp slurve. Uh, there was some debate over whether or not he truly had an out pitch, but his command over all of his pitches and his aggressiveness in using them was said to be a huge strength for such a young kid. That lower arm slot aided in his trickery of opposing hitters, and he could bullseye the corner of the strike zone seemingly whenever he wanted to. He was projected as mid-rotation in 2015, so he has outdone those projections. Uh, and then he was fast-tracked into the Phillies' rotation and has been a staple on this pitching staff ever since. And as we all know, he will finally reach the end of his contract when this season comes to a close. And both he and the Phillies failed to come to terms prior to the season starting, despite initial optimism that it could get done. Now, every Aaron Nola start, already scrutinized and worried over and cursed about, has extra dimension. As Gail writes, 
Nola believes he should be paid commensurate with the best pitchers in the sport. The Phillies believe he is an elite starter who is more durable than anyone. Durable is the one thing Nola has always been. It is his constant. But durable is only one thing a good pitcher has to be. He's got to make his 30 starts, sure, but he's got to be able to hold a lead, avoid meltdowns, miss bats, hit the strike zone. At different points, Nola has struggled with all of these things since 2015. Expectations for him have wavered over time, but he eventually made himself the ace of this staff. Bumped down in a lot of minds to number two when Zach Wheeler emerged as the free agent signing of a lifetime for Matt Klintak's front Ooh. office. But Nola would be the number one on a lot of staffs across baseball. And frankly, he would be welcomed onto any staff in Major League Baseball. And yet, the number of frustrating moments he has authored live on in people's heads, despite finally shaking off the reputation of late season burnout last year that typically has afflicted him in September's past. Instead, he didn't seem to run out of gas until his last three starts of the postseason as the Phillies ultimately lost the World Series. Coming into 2023, Aaron Nola has just finished top five in NL Cy Young voting in 2022. He, leads the, he led the in innings pitched, he has led the league in innings pitched over the last uh, six years and is top 10 in wins above replacement for pitchers over that span as well. Nola added 100 RPM to his fastball last year as part of his four-pitch arsenal. That led to the highest strikeout-to-walk ratio in Phillies history and cut down on his walks in general. He had a ton of first-strike pitches, and the Baseball Prospectus Annual for 2023 listed him as the most underrated ace in baseball. Using two strong words there that have been used so often, they have actually lost a lot of meaning. Underrated and ace. <laughs> they actually, neither of them have any meaning anymore. Yeah. Now on social media, any mention of Aaron Nola will have you greeted by fans with heads full of frantically mating brain worms who show up to tell you that he is the best or worst pitcher who has ever lived. This happens because admittedly to define Nola requires an exhaustive amount of consideration and what many have understandably done is just thrown up their hands and decided to address him on vibes alone, which is where we find ourselves on May 5th, 2023. Nola has made seven starts for the 2023 Phillies. They have won three of those starts. He has lasted at least six innings in five of them. I don't think his durability has taken any hits this season, but his reliability has. Elizabeth, do you agree or disagree with anything that's been said? I don't think so. I think you're, you know, pretty much on the nose. I certainly couldn't have said it better than that. <laughs> what concerns you most about Aranola at this point? I mean, I think it's consistency, reliability, you know, that it's really the consistency. Like, I'd rather a tiny, I'd rather a little bit more mediocrity than the roller coaster that was, was going to be a question would you rather Aaron Nola be a solid pitcher with a 350 ERA all of the time or be a guy who's going to flirt with a no hitter every couple of games if it means he's going to melt down every couple of games too I mean uh, see I that's really hard that's really hard because a guy who gives you you know a 350 ERA is there are good and there's good and bad there too. A guy who gives you a 350 ERA all of the time. I guess all is, of it. Like if this is a magic machine man who constantly gives you a you know a 3.5 ERA, then yeah, I would certainly rather that to Aaron Nola. But since that doesn't exist, if I had to, you know, if that existed, I would certainly take it. But since it doesn't, I kind of feel like in the future we might be better with Aaron Nola. But then I say that, and I don't know. This well, is what happens twist. when we talk about Reese Hoskins, too. We can't. It's uh, we can't make the decisions. Three fifty is not going to get you in the ace conversation. No, it's not. Am I not. wrong there? No, so you're right. Aaron Aaron Nola's not an ace if that's if he's one of those guys. He's, he's lower true. down in the rotation. He's closer to what he was projected to be as a prospect. Yeah. I mean, at this point. If the Phillies had a guy with a solid 350 ERA, I would t I would take that, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I would take that. I'm not saying I would replace Aaron Nola. Oh, no. I would not. I would not. But 
uh, based on what the Phillies starting rotation has been capable of this season so far, boy, some, some stability would be great. And you know what? Some outs would be pretty great, too. <laughs> I'm going to take us on a slight tangent. Would we be better if we had signed, I don't know, like a manatee and a hat rather than Taiwan Walker? I think of the options in the Taiwan Walker pool, the Phillies signed the guy most likely to be <laughs> this kind of Walker. pitcher. <laughs> Come like, on, man. This is, this is, that's, hey. Taiwan Walker doesn't have a perfect pitching history. I mean, it was exciting because it was like, okay, when you when you're bringing in a, like a three or four guy for your rotation, this is a guy who has some bad starts in his oh, past. Yeah. Taiwan Walker has struggled at times. He's looked great at times. He has he has really struggled, I think, throughout his career to avoid the kind of starts that he has. And frankly, I think he's hurt. That's just a theory. But I think he's hurt. He left that game with forearm straightness. Then, oh, guess what? He's fine. Comes out, has the worst game of his life. Like, don't tell me this guy is not hurting in some way that's not affecting his pitching. Because that's what I think is going on. But in regards to Nola. Yes, sorry. I, I just had that thought. No, that's okay. I say we go through this game by game and talk this out. All which right. means, unfortunately, Liz, we have to go back to opening day. <laughs> if, you, if you remember that, which... <laughs> I choose not to, but here we are talking about it anyway. On opening day, 2023, Aaron Nola collapsed. They just, they collapsed. When his critics line up with their fingers in the air, it's games like opening day 2023 that they cite, and rightfully so. The Phillies had a 5 to nothing lead going into the fourth inning, and Nola had put up three straight zeros against the Rangers. Then, probably the worst inning in Phillies opening day history happened. After loading the bases with two with no outs on two singles and a walk, Nola gave up a two-run double and a three-run bomb to Jonah Heim and Robbie Grossman. That's a young kid and a league veteran. Like, you know, opposite ends of the scope. Uh, moments like Corey Seager leading off an inning with a single proved an issue for Nola, who prefers to work at his own pace, as you said, mm -hmm. but now had to throw from the stretch with a man on and a pitch clock always ticking downward. He told reporters after the game on baseball's new pitch clock impacting his approach. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Something I've just got to get used to. Keep figuring keep figuring out how to slow down. Got to focus on the clock and the hitter at the same time. Just something to get used to. But ultimately, the ball was just leaking on me and hanging in that fourth inning. Since <laughs> I was gonna Say get used to it and a little bit, you know, more. I think that will <laughs> convince us that I mean, it's yeah, exactly, exactly what you say it is. There's a little bit of, well, what do you expect him to say in every answer in a post-game scrum like this, especially oh, yeah. after opening day. But frankly, even just after one game, Nola had some questions to answer after oh, yeah. that game because that was a bad loss. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember the moment he gave up that three-run bomb more clearly than almost any other moment this season. And I hate yeah. that. I hate that because yeah. it was the first, it was like the first big moment and it was bad, you know, and in the post-game yeah, I mean, it's what do you expect him to say, but behind everything he said, there was just, like, you could see it behind his eyes, like a little bit of pants-crapping terror. Like, that was not what I expected it to be. That was terrible. Yep. And and also, you know, if you're taking everybody on their word, he's obviously not going to be like, yeah, the pitch <laughs> clock really rattled me, that and sucks. I think my brain is broken. Like, that's <laughs> not going to... That's not going to be what he says. No. Uh, but clearly, by his own admission, you at least know that it is impacting him. And we're going to talk more about that as we go along here. But since his early days as a draftee, Nola has developed a full-fledged curve, a pitch that has become so important to him that without it, as Matt Gelb wrote recently, Nola isn't Nola. The curve wasn't sharp on opening day, and the Rangers feasted on it. And the thing about a curve is, if that curve ain't curving, well, it's never, never the issue that the curve ain't curving. It's that if that curve isn't working, then it's just slow pitch softball. And Corey Seager and whoever the hell else is going to be able to do whatever they want with it. <laughs> now, I don't know what else to say. I'm just like remembering like it wasn't. I feel like everyone should be bad at the Rangers. And I hate that they came out swinging and made themselves look like a viable team. <laughs> the Phillies look like crap. Now, in Nola's next start, mm -hmm. he was he was going against the Yankees. A heck of a team to try and rebound against, though they are currently in last place in the American League East. I feel like that's <coughs> excuse me. 
Something worth <laughs> something worth pointing out. <clears throat> uh, but Aaron Nola got into trouble with Aaron Judge on base and allowed a run early, but then retired the next eleven of retired eleven of the next fourteen hitters. He got ahead in the count. He had good fastball command. It was all it was working. He was pulled in in the seventh for walking the leadoff batter, and the next Yankee cranked a two-run homer off Greg Soto. But the Phillies hadn't made solid contact all day. I'm sorry, but the Yankees hadn't made solid contact all day until the sixth inning, and in fact had broken two of their bats trying to fight off Nola's pitches early on. That's a good thing. You want to see that. Rob Thompson said of his starter, other than DJ LeMahieu's double, the Yankees really didn't hit a ball hard from what I saw. Very encouraging. He was really good. So Thompson felt like that was a good rebound start. One of the two issues Nola had on opening day was the pitch clock. Between starts, Todd Zalecki informed us that Nola worked with a stopwatch in the bullpen during his final 10 pitches. He wanted to adjust to the pitch timer in a game. It appeared to work against the Yankees because Nola didn't have problems throwing any of his pitches. So he already, by game two, he had a game on the record in which those most closely monitoring felt he did not have any problems with the pitch clock. That's important because it proves that he's capable of it. Yes. Now, I don't know how well you monitor that moving forward, but more of this loss fell on the offense, which came up short. Brandon Marsh was banged up a bit, and the game pretty much hinged on a Christian Pache at bat before he was the Christian Pache (laughs) we were sad to lose against the Astros a few nights ago. So, that Yankees series was, its I mean, the way that that started when they went 0-4, they won game two, they lost the series, but, uh, you know, that was... That series didn't really do anything to make you feel better about Aaron Nola or the Phillies in general, which I think we can agree. Yeah. Not, yeah, completely. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But in his next start, Nola was back to unraveling. He he threw hittable pitches to five of the sixth Marlins batters he faced, and all five of them logged hits in his worst inning. The game went from a surmountable one-to-nothing deficit for the Phillies to slightly more out of hand. The offense had just scored 15 runs on Miami, so naturally they had one of those offensive hangovers we've come to know so well. They should have backed Nola up more, but he should have been able to handle a batting order that couldn't score more than three runs in nine of the 11 games they'd played so far. (laughs) Yeah. This is where we note that in his career, his third time through the order is typically the worst. In 320 and two-thirds innings pitched, he has a 483 ERA going through the order a third time. Though I would imagine that's probably true for most starters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, at that point, you've got six, seven innings worth of uh, pitching that your arm is starting to feel, and they've been getting a better look at you. This is their third at bat of the day. They, they've already had two looks at you. So I, I can't imagine anyone's stats get a lot better the more they go through, and when they do, people talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how to... Like, without other numbers, I don't know how to measure that that specific statistic. You know, without, you know, what does, you know, what do the elite pitchers, whose names I can't even, like, I'm like, Justin Verlander. No, he, (laughs) is he considered elite anymore? He did just win the Cy Young Award. But I guess, yeah, like, you think about those guys, like, what are, what, how do they look third time through the order? How does that measure up in general? Because that's also one of those, is this is this guy an ace qualifications? Justin Verlander in his career, who I think we can cite here because A, you just mentioned him, mm-hmm. and B, he's again one of the pitchers that Baseball Prospectus compared Aranola to in the annual this year. Justin Verlander has a 4.03 ERA third time through the order for his career. So obviously Nola's is higher, but they're both over that four-point mark. The difference is Verlander's um, ERA first and second time through the order are both under three (laughs) because he's a very good pitcher. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's interesting. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's not necessarily terrible for Nola, but it's also not good, which is where we fall on everything (laughs) with it. If I had to guess, it's on the higher side of average. Yeah. Which is higher than you want it to be for a number two starter. Yes. Uh, So regardless of what anyone else is doing, those are numbers you don't want to see from your number two starter. But Nola compartmentalized the damage after the Marlins game, saying, I've had two really bad innings, first game and this game. Other than that, other innings I've felt pretty good. 
no walks today, just taking the positives away, keep on pushing, focus on next outing in my command, try to keep my pitches sharp, blah, blah, blah. But the important thing there is that he's saying, yeah, look, you know, those games don't look great, but if you went back and actually looked at the game, you'd see I missed my spot twice and it cost me everything. I don't know if that's... I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think especially in on opening day, putting his first three innings aside... He started to struggle a little more comprehensively in his problem inning. It wasn't just that he missed his spot on one pitch, but I guess what he's saying is bad innings, not bad pitches. So, yeah, the thing there that to respond to is like, yeah, okay, but all any pitcher needs is one bad inning, and it's gonna, it could cost them the game. Yeah, like one bad inning is oftentimes all it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of how a pitcher's start usually. And if they don't have the, uh, you know, one bad inning, they're usually in there the whole time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess you could also say, and, you know, I'll mention this later as well, but there's other factors going into these losses. Oh, sure. And no, and no way am I saying the games where Aaron Nola pitches and loses are all Aaron Nola's fault. Uh, sometimes they are more his fault than anyone else's. Definitely. But in multiple cases, even just this season – Offense doesn't pick him up, and that's obviously playing a role here. Even a good pitcher has got to be able to give up a couple of runs down again and assume his offense is going to be able to score runs in more than one inning, which this offense has struggled to do. But that's a topic for a different episode because this is the the Aaron Nola episode. It's probably best for him mentally to compartmentalize damage like that anyway. So in a way, I would rather see him doing that where he's like, I'm fine. Two bad innings and three games. I'm fine. So still looking for his first win of the season. The Reds were next. It was nice of the schedule to kind of give the Phillies um, opponents of lessening and lessening quality for them to be able to get straight, uh, which was what was so frustrating about them splitting the series with the Reds. But Nola got his next shot against Cincinnati. The offense made sure nobody was going to blame them for this Nola start. They broke off nine runs in the first inning. That was never going to be an issue. They didn't have to score for the rest of the game, and you could still make the argument offense did its job. Nine to nothing is really enough to win the game. The first run Nola allowed against the Reds was due to an error on Alec Bohm at first, and the other two came on a pair of sack flies. And that was all. They only allowed three runs that day. Nola pitched six innings and having his start delayed over an hour by both 44 minutes of rain and 18 minutes of unthinkable offense from his own lineup. uh, MLB (laughs) made him a footnote in the recap because he just did his job. All they said was he sent the Reds down in order in the first and continued dealing the rest of the afternoon. Nola recorded his first win of the year, going six innings and allowing three runs, two earned on five hits. He walked three, struck out four on 98 pitches, 62 of which were strikes. Now, hidden in those numbers is, as as you alluded to earlier, a low amount of strikeouts for a strikeout pitcher like Aaron Nola. And it just seems like he's always got these three walks, which never sounds, which is like just the threshold of walks in a single game. Where you're like, that does, that's not a lot, many. Yeah. but it still sounds like too many. And walks will kill you. We know that, too. That's happened plenty of times. Three spread out. You know, they're not going to do that. But it was uh, a, a two days, two starts in a row. He had three walks. He's, a, he's about to have zero walks in his most recent two starts. Mm-hmm. But this was a period in which he had three walks and two consecutive starts. And it just felt like, boy, he's been walking a lot of guys this season. Which was funny because against the Marlins, no walks. No walks in five and two thirds. So, you know, again, he makes you feel crazy. <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. That's why we're devoting an entire episode to him in which neither of us make sense most of the time. Now, you got to be a real malcontent to find something to complain about in a game like that. When the Phillies absolutely clobbered the Reds on offense, they had Aaron Nola shut them down from the mound. It was viewed as the Phillies doing what the Phillies are supposed to do to a team like Cincinnati, and we all moved on. Nola's next start came against the Rockies and was much more of a test for some reason among probably the National League's worst offense. Nola started the game by allowing three runs in the first, two bloop singles, and a three-run bomb from Ryan McMahon, who I will note here has not hit a home run since the one he hit off Nola two weeks ago. <laughs> That's so depressing. But, but well, like, you know, let me let me bring you back here. But 
Uh, this game had a few key differences that broke the pattern it felt like we were about to undergo. The Phillies bailed out their starter, scoring four runs to come back and win 4-3, to three, and Aaron Nola surrendered no more runs after the first, even when the sixth inning featured his third walk, hmm, allowed of the day, hmm. which equaled his strikeout total hmm, for the day. <laughs> and when the moment came for Nola to give up the game, he didn't. In a key C.J. Crone at bat, he got the slugger to chop a sinker right back to him and delivered a double play ball that ended a rally. Then he came out and pitched a clean seventh, just for fun. Rob Thompson said, Nola showed a lot of poise and toughness by just shutting them down after that first inning. He stayed the course, he stayed poised, and he got them out. Did you feel as good as Rob Thompson after that rocky start? Because I don't, I'm of the mind that, yeah, you're playing bad teams, you still got to beat them. It's not any lesser, yeah, it feels better to beat good teams, but beating bad teams doesn't feel cheap. In this case, though, I did feel a little bit like, all right, you know what? He's getting, seems like he's getting his act together. Both of these games have been against uh, lesser than quality teams. It's not going to be a real test until he goes up against a contender. Yes. I did feel that way. Like, like it was hard to see them lose to such bad teams going into this. That Like, I seeing them win this game with, like, Aaron Nola and the offense together was like really heartening. I was I've been much easier getting my hopes up this season, which I found is a mistake uh, thus far. <laughs> I think I'm, I don't think I'm stopping anytime soon. Um, yeah, I I did feel really good about that, but I I kept you know I I haven't been able to trust Aaron Nola for a while. Remember, we went into the playoffs feeling so confident and he beat our hearts with like a giant novelty baseball bat at the very end. Well, he did do some of his best pitching in the postseason. But yeah, you're right. I mentioned those last three starts were kind of signals that he had run out of gas and that had been a problem for him much earlier in the past. So again, this was progress. It was progress. On the Aranola front. Yeah, but like I, he's just one player I have a tough time trusting after yeah. seeing what we've seen. Uh, and so I, every time I see him do well, I'm like, I, it needs to happen. Like, show me. I need another mm -hmm. one before I'm going to trust you. He, like, he needs to put together, like, three good starts against teams of varying abilities, you know, in order for me to feel like, all right, he, he's getting it together. Well, lucky for you, after the Rockies, it was on to Houston. A series, <laughs> and I, uh, a series I and others were dreading, given the unreliable state of the pitching staff, and the general nature of Houston Astros fans. I did not expect Nola and Wheeler to deliver their best starts of the season in that series, but they did. And that was a big reason why the Phillies won that series, that and Nick Castellanos making himself the arch nemesis of the Houston metropolitan area and making the most fun catch of all time on a home run ball. Uh, also, the offense just kicking it into gear for two games. That was I couldn't believe that was the series in which all of those things seemed to finally happen. Uh, we're obviously focusing on Nola's start, and as I said, it was his best. Philly's pitcher, uh, Philly's pitching coach Caleb Cotham decided to monitor Nola's pace during this start rather than his velocity, which we haven't gotten to yet. But don't worry, we're getting to it. Uh, is noticeably down this year. His velo in his attempt to evaluate the crucial piece of the Phillies puzzle, Caleb Cotham decided Nola's pace was going to be more important than his velocity. And after the game, he said. Nola wasn't too quick or too slow. He's just fast enough. Now, if you want to talk about tight lips, Cotham's going to give you nothing. You're going to get no legit insight from this man. His files are sealed. He is not going to reveal his secrets, thoughts, or insights, which honestly is for the best. But that start, I think, did the most for me. I was telling Chris yesterday that, well, in a general sense, it was a great reminder that those Phillies were still in there even though it's been really tough to mark down their identity for 2023. It was good to see flashes of that 2022 team in there. And Nola was part of that on a more specific level level. It was once again, great to see that that version of Aaron Nola was still in there. Yeah. Like that, that encouraged me having those two, those two starts together was encouraging, you know, like everyone said, this is exactly what we wish we'd seen him do against the Astros late in the playoffs um so it was like a 
it was a joy to see him succeed and to see them just suck. Well, speaking of that, this brings us to Los Angeles, where everything that was slowly built over the last four starts got absolutely annihilated uh-huh. by the Dodgers. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons you get outscored in a series 36 to 10. There was the absent offense, the goofy defense, and then there was the starting pitching. An ongoing issue for the 2023 Phillies since literally day one. In game three, the only game in which it looked like the Phillies had a shot of winning, Nola was the starter, and he couldn't hold a lead. And he lasted six and a third. He was given a five to nothing lead to work with in the third but he used the time between the lineup's outburst and his exit from the game to slowly let the Dodgers get back within striking distance. It was 5-3 to three by the time he left. It was 5-4 to four at the end of the inning. So I guess you could say he did hold the lead. He just left as little possible space within it as possible without actually blowing it. Uh, you can also blame the offense for failing to add after their initial attack. Nola gave up an RBI single to Mookie Betts. He gave up a two-run homer to Miguel Vargas. And he got credited for Freddie Freeman's sack fly after allowing Chris Taylor a triple with one out. Rob Thompson, after the game, said, I'm confident the velo is going to come. But if it doesn't, he's fully equipped to pitch with less velocity just because he can pitch and command the baseball. So here's where I'm confused. (laughs) Tell me. It sounds like... And, uh, well, let's, let's talk about velocity for a second. (laughs) Nola's averaging 91.7 miles an hour on his fastball. That's down from 92.8 miles an hour last year. Alex Coffey in the Inquirer wrote that he didn't hit that velo even once against the Astros, which was his best game of the season. Mm -hmm. But by now, Coffey says Nola has cut out the lengthier parts of his routine just in general in response to the pitch clock. And in regards to the velocity drop, Well, sounds like that's sort of on purpose, too. Uh, She writes, the biggest adjustment he has made is not trying to throw too hard too early, which is why we might be seeing a slight dip in his velocity. He's not throwing as hard because he wants to last longer in the games. 72 of his 107 pitches were strikes, and he only threw 18 fastballs against the Astros, relying very much on his curve. Nola says that the drop in velo allows his fastball better movement. But as Kevin Stocker pointed out on the radio broadcast, if you shorten the window of velocity between the fastball and the change, you're not going to be as effective at fooling hitters because they don't have to adjust as much. They can be comfortable. You don't want hitters to feel comfortable against your number two starter. So my question where I'm confused is Thompson said, I'm confident the velocity is going to come, which sounds like somebody who's waiting for a guy to fix something. But what Nola and Cotham are saying is that this is what they're doing on purpose. So which is it? Uh, um, it's probably what, you know, Nola and Cotham said. And Thompson is just both sizing it for the media. Fair. Fair enough. I don't know, because I, I, what is he going to do? Fully admit that his number... Why not? Just, the other two have. Well, yeah, but it's a little different because it's like we're doing this we're experimenting with it and it then honestly i don't know what he's doing (laughs) now i'm going back (laughs) like everyone here's just getting like a a front row listen to you know me thinking through the Aaron nola process live as we go it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense it it I could see why he wouldn't just like straight up say yeah our number two starters velocity is down and it's on purpose and you know Things are a little too close for comfort right now between the rest of his pitches, or at least one of them. So we've got some problems. You know, but like he could also just not say that he could also just not say what he said. He could say different things. I think this is all a product of an adjustment Mm -hmm. that should have been addressed before the season started. I don't know why the season started with a pitch clock and Nola's. Still, obviously, he hadn't pitched in a game with it, but were they not practicing with the pitch clock? And I think the adjustments he's had to make, I think all of the other issues are a product of that. Yeah. In my head, a little earlier, I was thinking, you know, why didn't they get this done earlier? And when is it okay? And when 
Dewey say, all right, man, you're a professional pitcher. You should have figured this out. You should be there by now. Like, who am I to say that? But also, I, I don't know. You, they, it should have been earlier. Like, I don't remember exactly when the pitch clock was announced. But It was with enough time to know that it was going to be happening this season. And if, if yeah. all he needed was 10 pitches in the bullpen to feel like he was comfortable with it, then that just intensifies my initial question of why didn't he throw those 10 pitches before the season started? Yeah. I don't, it just, you know, yeah, okay, it was just one game where he hadn't really whatever, but, like, at the same time, why not? Why, why wasn't that addressed? That's going to be a huge, that's going to be a huge change to your approach. And I feel like he couldn't have not known that, so... But hey, look, there's difference between doing it in practice and doing it in execution. So, look, maybe we're we're chalking it up to that. But right now, you know, I think the the, the discrepancy the discrepancies there, the velo drop, whether it's on purpose or or not, whether or not the fastball movement is worth throwing the fastball not as hard, and whether or not going deeper into games with a slower fastball is worth it or not. I think this is all coming down from having to adjust to a pitch clock. And it also comes down to, I think, something else that will be talked about more and more as the season goes on. But Matt Gelb summed it up in one quote, saying, There is a certain pressure that comes with every NOLA start this season because it feels like his legacy here is at stake. And I think that probably probably plays more into people's perception of him with every one of his starts, but I think in a smaller way, it's it probably in some days it's weighing on him too. He's got to be thinking about it. It's his contract here. Yeah. Like this has to be scary for him, right? You would imagine that like, this is all happening at the worst time. Yeah. But as Gelb continues to put it, he took, he, he's betting on himself. He's believing on himself. He's, he's you know, they could have worked something out before the season started, but he said, they couldn't, and he said, I'm going to pitch this year, and now this year is going to be factored into my deal, not just the past, which we already know was successful. He's betting on himself. I'm not saying that's a bad bet, but what word do we keep re- using? Unreliable. It's an unreliable bet, and I I, you know, I want him to win that bet. I, I want very much for Aaron Nola to win that bet. I want him to get paid what he's owed, and I want him to stay here in Philadelphia as the kind of pitcher we know he can be, but he's betting on himself, and that is scary. Yeah, because, like, it feels almost unfair for this to happen to him at this time. I mean, it's happening to everybody, Mm. but, like... I'd say the injury to Reese Hoskins was unfair. I think Aaron Nola helped helped make this a choice. Yeah, because I'm I'm looking now to see when... I've been trying to find when they were actually announced, the rules. It seems like in September... 2022 they were announced yeah i think and then i so i I guess i don't know why some of this wasn't figured out ahead of time because we all know that he has such a he he had before this season such a lengthy routine on the mound and it's something that he needed and it seems designed to hurt him specifically, even though it, it wasn't like I want him to be as good of a pitcher with the, with less time as he was with more. And that mm-hmm. seems to be exactly what his legacy is resting on. It's literally just some seconds on the clock that are that's, you know, that he hasn't been able to adjust to. And he's running out of time really quickly. Um for people to for him to actually get it done and have his you know career not severely impacted by it well i'd like to talk about something else that uh, comes up a lot in regards to Aaronola. <laughs> is that SD. also a downer <laughs> it's the one bad inning theory oh, great. <laughs> that i know you and i are both familiar with but it feels like in an Aaron nola start three good innings doesn't necessarily make you feel like he's cruising because he runs into a brick wall in the middle of the game and suddenly, you know, and he doesn't just allow walks. He allows base hits. Suddenly he's more hittable. And that means runs are coming across. 
So I think you see that a lot. It's one of people's uh, most brought up issues about him. So I wanted to look at that for a second. What in general, just off the top of your head, based on based on just pure vibes, what do you feel like is this year the inning where Aaron Nola runs into trouble? Just off, am I making a guess? Do you have the answer? Uh, I have some statistics on this that I felt were really interesting and went against what I assumed was true. So I just want to know where your head's out. One inning, one particular inning this year, what do you think is his worst inning? Um, recency bias. He was bad very early in games early on. Um, I'll split the difference maybe and say the fourth or the fifth. No. Yeah, I'll say the fourth, even though I think it's wrong. The fourth is the answer. Oh. I thought the fifth. I thought in the fifth was he was when he ran into trouble. In the fourth inning, uh, compared to his career numbers, his, in the fourth, he usually is fine. He's got a 293 career ERA in the fourth inning. Opponents hit 221 against him in the fourth. Uh, they slugged 319 against him in the fourth in just under 200 career innings. This year, his fourth inning ERA is 1215. Posing hitters are hitting <laughs> posing hitters are hitting 370 against him in that inning. They're slugging 704 against him. Now, you know, obviously this is a much smaller sample size than the entirety of his career, but we use these numbers to indicate this is who he is. This is who he has set up who he is. Like years of pitching in Major League Baseball have established this is what he's capable of in the fourth inning. This year we're seeing this. And this is different that... than we normally get from him in the fourth inning. If he if he's cruised for three innings and runs into trouble in the fourth, that is essentially where the second time through the order starts. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because... I, I, j- I just realized that now I'm like, no, because we were talking three times through the order earlier and maybe the drop in velocity has made it easier, you know, with the, um, the pairing of the pitches. It's just made it easier for everyone to identify it after one at bat. Here's the weird part. Fifth inning. What do you think Aaron Nola's fifth inning ERA is this year? I feel like it's got to be low. Well, you're not wrong. Um, I'll say, let's say 3.25. It's zero. No. <laughs> Aaron Nola That's hasn't right. allowed a run in the third inning Shut this up. year. That's wrong. Six in- Six innings pitched, opponents are hitting 150 against him in the fifth inning. In his career, this is a significantly different inning than the fourth inning, in which he has a sub-3 ERA. In the fifth inning, he has a 4-12 ERA throughout history. Opponents hit 230 against him. They slug 350 against him in 185 and two-thirds innings. This year, through six innings, through six fifth innings, not a run. Um, six fifth, so it's... (laughs) He's made it to the fifth inning six times. How many starts has he had? Seven. Okay, so that's not awful. Every day but opening day, he's pitched into the fifth. Okay. Yeah. Again, wow. durability is his uh, most lasting trait. So, you know, in an era where five or six innings is what people want from their starters, he is giving the Phillies that. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed he is. That threw me off. Yeah, wow. Zero ERA in the fifth. And then in the sixth, his... Uh, Typical ERA through history. He has a 387 sixth inning ERA. Opponents hitting 249 against him and 146 in the third innings. This year, his sixth inning ERA is 635. Yeah. He... They are hitting almost 350 against him in the sixth inning. They are slugging 522 against him in the sixth inning. This is only through five and two-thirds innings. And again, since this is a, a small sample size, let's break it down. It is eight for 23 hitters are against him. Uh, with three extra base hits. All right. That's concerning. Certainly not good. But it, it's this is all still small sample sizes. But also with pitchers, it doesn't get high until we get like midway through the summer. Right. And part of our conclusion is going to uh, touch on what you're saying here. Uh, and just for fun, uh, just so you know, in the eighth inning, Aaron Nola's career numbers in the eighth inning, fantastic. Yep. Not not a lot, but fantastic. Ninth inning, 
terrible. Yeah. Don't put Aaron Nola yeah. out there for the ninth inning. Which he is- has only done it six times. It's gone terribly every time. I feel like don't put him out there for the sixth for the ninth inning. Thompson has done it more than a few times. <laughs> I think he has because I think it. I think he loves Aaron Nola and want and just is easily convinced by him because when he makes it to the eighth inning, you know he's just spinning. But that's when it stops. Historically, do not let him go out. He's just a complete game is not in his grasp. At least well, not Well, I was going to say, I said it's gone terribly every time. But then I was like, you know what? He has thrown complete games. And he's thrown five complete games oh, in go. his career. So it hasn't gone badly every time. True. But in the small amount of times he has reached the ninth inning, it typically has not gone well. Uh, but that was just a fun little tidbit. So as we're rounding the bend here to a conclusion... Nola is one of the best pitchers in baseball, but he hasn't been this year so far for a couple of reasons. The pitch clock, the velo drop, the state of his career, the lack of help. He has never been a very dominant pitcher, but you don't need to be dominant, assuming you can rely on your defense or offense or preferably both to bail you out if you do get in trouble or even just do normal things so that allowing three or four runs doesn't equate a disaster. When people in this town hear ace, which is, I think, the word that gets you in trouble. They think 2011. They think Roy Halladay. Oh, yeah. But Nola has all the issues that each guy in that rotation had. He allows early runs, like Roy Halladay would. He gets no run support, like Cole Hamels never did. He's got a velo drop like Oswald had, and he's probably going to disappear into the wilderness after his career like Cliff Lee. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> A couple of nights ago, another of the Phillies' problems, Trey Turner, was asked by Rob Thompson if he wanted a night off or if he wanted to play. He's been in a slump, and he can't hit high fastballs. Turner said he wanted in because he had to swing his way out. He hasn't done that yet, but my point is this. That's the problem with this point in the season for fans, including me. It's been long enough to see trends you don't like but not long enough for the team to make a serious change in guys like Turner and guys like Nola. And they're, you know, preferably they're not going to, th- things would have to go really, really lo- wrong for a long time for them to make a quote unquote change with those guys. Some guys just have to keep playing to get right. Most guys just have to get playing, get, keep playing to get right. And that's going to take some L's along the way. And we hate that. We don't want to see that, but it happens. Aranola is not Junior Marte, a rando reliever we can kick on and off the roster as the team needs. The Phillies aren't going to trade for a legit number one or two starter in early May. Nola's individual consistent success is crucial to the Phillies' success, so you just got to hope he gets comfortable, and the only way he can do that is to pitch his way out. We got to hope he's got people around him who can support him, who can let him work the way he wants to or learn to work the way he wants to. And it's tough for fans because we have no more perspective on it than what we see on our TVs. And Nola is a special case because he makes you feel like you're being gaslit. He has two bad starts, then throws like an ace for the next three, then gives up a cluster of line drives and blows a lead. You feel crazy watching him when he's struggling because he's always struggling, not quite enough to completely stifle the part of him that is an ace. Because one thing has been clear this whole time. Nola is great, But despite how durable he is, his critics' first comment will be how he can never stay great. And there is a difference between durability and consistency. There is a difference between 2016 NOLA and 2023 NOLA. And there's a difference between 92.8 miles an hour and 91.7 miles an hour. And I think that's what we're struggling with. Aaron NOLA is is your dirtbag ex that you can't stop sleeping with on the side. (laughs) That's exactly who he is. You're just like, he's gaslighting you. He makes you feel insane. I'm like, I know a number of women, myself included, who have felt that way in the past. Though not about, you know, major league pitchers that we have no personal relationship with. (laughs) So as we work towards a definition here, I think I have one, well... Universal agreement is impossible on the internet, but I think I have something that I wound up happy with. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say definition, I mean, you got to keep it short. You can't incorporate all these factors we just discussed. You got to be able to zip them up into shorter terms. So I tried to just take all of Aaron Nola's essence into a single sentence. Let me know what you think or how you would change it. Aaron Nola is a frontline starter with elite durability and some of the most effective pitches in the sport who greatly struggles to adjust when he has to pitch on anything beyond his own terms. I think that works. Yeah. And I think that's what you're seeing. I think you're seeing a guy who struggles to adjust uh, when there's a runner on base, let alone when they change the rules of baseball. 
And this has been some of the most sweeping rules of baseball that now he's got a pitch to a pitch clock. I still don't think he's fully gotten used to it, no matter what is said. I think the issues you see coming, the other issues you see coming out of him this year are products of him having to make this overall comprehensive adjustment to the pitch clock. I think when other factors come into play, like the lack of run support occasionally, pitching in a stadium he has less experience in, pitching against a really good lineup, all these things get twisted or amplified because of the overall struggling he's doing with the pitch clock. This is not an excuse. I'm not saying leave him alone. He's adjusting to the pitch clock. In fact, I think I was saying that earlier. Why wasn't this figured out earlier? Why is this an issue in the season? Why am I not hearing about too many others, too many other pitchers really struggling with this issue? I don't blame him for struggling with change. Everybody does. But I do want and expect better from him. And I think because of how important his best performances make him, Aaron Nola's worst performances feel like even more of a letdown. His most infuriating flaw is that when he struggles, he doesn't walk the bases loaded. He's, his pitches in the strike zone lose movement or velocity that make him uh, make his strikes into meatballs just getting hit all over the field. So I think there's a lot of emotions in play here. I think there, uh, you know, everybody's zipping up the last six, seven years of Aaron Nola into like, you know, one summary of a memory in their heads. And they're like, why? Why isn't he that guy? Why isn't he 27, 2018 Aaron Nola, whose, whose numbers are still pretty anomalous on his overall stat yeah. sheet? That's the only year he finished with an ERA under three, and he was way under three. Yeah. He was third in Cy Young voting. It might be the closest he ever gets I, to, to a Cy Young. I, it might be, which is disappointing to think about. But I have a question for you. Go ahead. Do you think Aaron Nola will be on the Phillies next year? Hmm. I, I do. I think Aaron Nola will be on the Phillies next year. Uh, I think that they wanted to work something out, and the reason they were optimistic was because because they they thought they could work something out. They would have started negotiations before the season if they thought they couldn't. So I think that was a letdown to everybody uh, who wanted to work out a deal. I think the worst. Like I think it's the thing that could really hurt the likelihood of being him on, on, on of him being on the Phillies next year. <laughs> tragically, yeah, is Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola could wind up being the reason Aaron Nola is not on the Phillies next year. They were ready to lock him up after his last few years. They may be less likely to if he struggles all year to adjust to this pitch clock. The velo drop in the slower fastball don't do what he wants, and the ability to stay in games longer doesn't help as much. Because his pitching just isn't as good as it, or as sharp as it used to be. We've seen this before. Cole Hamels was the World Series MVP, came out and was just trying to do too much. He put so much pressure on himself that it be he became a less skilled pitcher that year. And you might be seeing something of that ilk with, with Nola, too. So when I say that I think he'll be on the Phillies again, what I'm what I'm using to fuel that is that he is capable of pitching as well as we've ever seen. I don't think that's off the table. I'm hoping these early season adjustments can get made. Just because he struggles to adjust doesn't mean that he can't. And I think the Phillies want him here. And more importantly, I don't think they want to have to go through the process of finding a guy to replace a number two starter. And I mean that. I feel like that would be a hard thing to do. I don't think the free agents, free agent class is going to offer too much. And I don't think they are, they are too excited to make it the kind of deal they'd have to make to get a number two starter. True. I mean, right now, I guess I was thinking about it because I'm like, what what would it feel like to see Aaron Nola pitching in another uniform? What would it feel like for Aaron Nola not to be on the team? Here's what I was thinking when I was going through this research earlier. What if Aaron Nola gets traded at the deadline? Why would you think that? <laughs> because he is in the last year of a free agent deal. The Phillies might see an opportunity to improve. I'm sorry, he's in the last he's in the last year of his deal. Uh, and if, I don't know, maybe the Phillies see a way to improve. I don't think it's likely, but I was like, hmm, guys on their walk year who are struggling. Is that not who gets traded at the deadline most years? Um, is it? 
I guess that would mean that would require the Phillies to not feel they were a playoff team. Yeah, that's that's the big one, and I don't think they won't be a playoff team by then. Yeah, so, like I don't. I, let's take that off the we're board. Take that. <laughs> you know, because when I was thinking about him, you know, not being on the team, it was a it was a mix of like sadness and relief a little bit. You know, because I like Aaron Nola a lot, but. I, this year will prove whether I think he's more trouble than he's worth in the end. Because that's kind of the way I'm starting to lean. Because they announced the pitch clock rules a while, you know, ago. Maybe I'm wrong. And if I am wrong, please tell me on Twitter very nicely. Um, yeah, right. That's what I'm expecting. People being I, nice in response to a conversation. I about did Aaron look. <laughs> I almost missed Justin asking me a question. Because I was trying to figure out when it was exactly announced because I didn't want to misspeak. So I'm just going to say it. Um, it's disappointing that he came into the season and went through spring training without it seeming to be a problem. And then gets up to the majors and it feels like there's been no specific preparation for him in a way. And so I hope he figures it all out and turns it around. I just don't think he's going to be able to do it with the velocity that low. I mean, really. Regardless of of any conclusion here, what we want is Aaron Nola to turn things around. And I believe he can. I certainly believe he can find a stable place to pitch from. But even then, he is going to run into those bad innings. He will. And because of his reputation, people will use that as a as a means to say, well, good thing we didn't lock him up. But I do think he's going to turn things around. He's going to have some good months. His best months are typically May, July, and August, I want to say. He puts up like the same generally really good numbers in those months. So maybe uh, maybe this is just going to be like a Kyle Schwarber year for him, and he's just going to turn it on in June and uh, look like a look like a different guy. But adjustments have to be made. Baseball is a fluid game. He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to make some changes, yeah. and I think he's capable of doing that. But it's been a struggle so far. Aaron Nola's not pitching this weekend. We're getting Wheeler tonight. Getting Bailey Falter for our tailgate <laughs> game. So, <laughs> you know, nothing could be more appropriate for this podcast and its long history <laughs> than Hot our dang. first ever in-person like tailgate event at a game or anywhere. And it's Bailey Falter on the mound. Then it's Ty Walk, Taiwan Walker on oh, Sunday. Oh, at least it's not so. Taiwan Walker, I'll say. Yippee! Could be an interesting series against the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> we shall see. But that'll do it for your Friday edition of Hidden Season. I'm Justin Clue of Baseball Prospectus. This has been Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. See ya. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We will see you at the tailgate on Saturday starting at 3 p.m. in Jetro Lot. Uh, And yeah, from WHYY and Billy Penn, this has been Hidden Season.